All righty. Good to see everybody here on this Super Friday. Man, last night we had a phenomenal time down at the Pulse headquarters here, a couple blocks away for the Cobat Mixer, man. The uh, Cobat College of Business and Technology, the faculty, uh, just put on a great party last night. The dean, uh, Bill Tibbetts, the entire faculty, everybody that helped out, served. It was a great, great night. Everybody looked so beautiful. It was like a prom. Everybody's all dressed up uh, in their best. So great, great night. Uh, all right, take your Bibles um, today. We're going to be in Psalms 37, and then we're going to kind of go backwards a little bit. Uh, at this point, this is kind of what I'm feeling in my heart. You know, I, I'm putting together a list of the top 100 stories in the Bible that have changed my life. Now, the scripture, all scripture is inspired. I love the word of God, cover to cover. Um, back in the 90s, when there was no social media at all, and no one had cell phones, like people think, what did you do with your life? How did you keep in touch with people? You know, we, we you know, put messages in bottles, you know, and put them in the, in the ditch and see if they would arrive at somebody's house, you know. Uh, it was shocking how we knew anything back then. Uh, but one of the great things in the 1990s was I was a new young youth pastor and I would have to be dropped off at the church because Karen and I had one car. We were both squeaking out, you know, little paychecks. Um, we had a new little baby. Uh, so Karen would drop off Jocelyn at this daycare. Nice lady would watch Karen would go to work. But she'd have to drop me off in the morning early at the church. And there's a guy named Joe, we'd meet at six o'clock and we'd pray from six to seven, Monday through, uh, uh, all week, Monday through Thursday, Friday was our day off, but Monday through Thursday we'd pray. And then he would leave to go to work because he worked at this company called Hewlett Packard. And then I would stay at the church from seven o'clock to nine o'clock because I had no car, nowhere to go, no social media, no computers, no phones. And I would have, um, then I'd get some coffee and then for the next couple hours, and I did this for several years in, in my 20s. Next couple hours in my office, because nobody was there at the church yet, um, I would memorize the Bible and read the Bible. And I would have this undistracted, at least an undistracted hour, hour and a half, four days a week of just reading the Bible massively, extensively. Um, and I look around, I go, man, I don't think I would be where I'm at in my life at all in leadership had I not had that, those years in the 1990s without a cell phone and without social media and without a car and no place to go. And all I had was, you know, some crappy coffee uh, from a, a bun coffee maker that cooked U-Ban coffee. And I can't even explain how horrid it was, how bad it smelled. Uh, you know, as you begin to drink, it's all you had. And then some coffee mate uh, powder to throw in it. Uh, that's all you had in your Bible. You banned coffee in, Bible, in your Bible. And, but those years allowed me to discover the Bible in a way uh, that, I don't know, I can't explain it. And I, I feel sad at times for this generation that during this formative years, you have this competition of your phones and computers as I have, as it competes against my time as well. But man, I'm grateful for those years of immersion. And so sometimes people say, how did you find that in the Bible? Where'd you find that? I've never seen that before. Well, because I, I read it. Um, it was there all along. Um, that's how you find it is you actually read it. You come across it uh, as you read. But 
Little did I know that the setup to my life was happening and the treasury was forming. Uh, so we can't excuse ourselves because of phones and computers and, uh, and waiting in line for better coffee uh, to keep us from, uh, or I can't function or cope without that coffee. Man, I functioned with U-Ban. Now you Google U-Ban and, and uh, Y-U-B-A-N and you'll see what we all lived off of. How many come from the U-Ban generation? Yeah. Um, few of us in this room. Um, there's three left on the planet. Maybe that's not a good example uh, of that. But um, I've been collecting these top hundred stories, and so this is one of those stories in the Bible um, that has shaped my life and made me think, in the spur of the moment, about how I'm living, how I'm walking out my faith, how I'm <coughs> reacting and responding. We're going to get to it in a second. The setup is Psalms 37. Let's put it up on the screen if we will. Psalms 37, 1 through 13 says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. So worry and envy, man. Think how much of our life is consumed and dominated by worry and envy. Worry is an uncertainty about tomorrow. It's not really believing that God has things in control and that it will work out toward his will and wonder and toward my good. I have to pass through the fire. I got to walk through the valley. I got to go through the wilderness. I got to go through some dark times where I can't really see clearly. But worry tells me that God has lost control of my life. He's lost control of tomorrow that his promises are not really going to deliver for my life. So I'm going to be paralyzed by this other emotion, uh, which is fear. Um, and I really think the opposite of fear and worry is the idea of gladness in our life. This emotional disposition uh, that is in response to the goodness of God is the gladness of my heart. God is good, I am glad. God is good, I am glad. But when I stop reading my Bible, I lose touch with everything. I forget everything. It's shocking how we can remember stuff. I can just... Sing one note of a song, and now my wife is very worried right now, like, oh my gosh, is he going to do nostalgia music now? Uh, no, but I could do one note of a song that I haven't heard in 25 years, and I start singing the lyric. You ever notice that? that you can just recall music like crazy lyrics, but then we can't even remember at noon what we read in the Bible at eight o'clock that day. Why is the Bible information so elusive but lyrics remain? Because there's not forces of evil combating to steal instantly everything from the kingdom that you read and see. It's like a seed that is sown if it falls on a heart that's really not ready, really not open, that's kind of going through the motions. The Bible uh, likens the devil to a bird that steals it. So you can read the Bible in the morning and forget totally what it says by lunch. But you can remember musical lyrics for 25 years that you not, have not even sung. Because there's no adversary out to steal music lyrics from your head and your heart. But there's an adversary that's always trying to rip off what is planted in your heart. Like it's right when it happens, steal, plant steal, I don't know what, oh, I forgot the Bible says that. You just read it an hour ago. It's, it's fascinating. You, but you got to account for the spiritual warfare, for the truth. So worry is this thing that causes us to forget everything that God has promised in our life is for us. 
And then envy. Don't worry and don't envy. Envy is just, just longing and lusting for what other people have achieved and acquired. It's rejecting the timeline of God in your life. It's rejecting God's path for your life. And so envy and, and worry can begin to dominate, especially when the person is wicked. You ever seen a happy, wicked person? It makes you crazy. And then you see a sad Christian next to a happy, wicked person, and you're trying to figure out how does this thing work? Or why does the person doing wrong, how come they have acquired more than I have? Why am I envying the material gain and the momentum financially and clout-wise of a wicked person? This isn't making sense if I serve the God of all creation. Why am I envying wicked people. It's a tendency we all have. And if we don't catch it quick, it's a free fall of worry and envy. For like grass, now the Lord talks about the people that we're worrying about and the people we're envying. He calls them grass, like, like weeds that soon fade away, like spring flowers, they soon wither. Next slide, verse three. Trust in the Lord. And do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, uh, which is, it literally, it's the heart smile. It's that adrenaline, that good mood, that sense that, hey, it's Friday, the weekend. So you know that nice feeling we had today already? Delight. It is something that we <coughs> talk about, something we brag on, something we look forward to. We're taking delight <coughs> in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desires. Um, okay, go, go to the next verse, if you will. Verse five, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like dawn because you're, you're trying not to be wicked in this life. You're trying to live an innocent life in the sense of your life compared to wicked people. You're trying to do the right thing and you're wondering when does it pay the dividend? When does it bring the reward? Thank you, boss. What are you doing for me? You give me a cough drop? Look at that. <laughs> and I know where you got that. You got that from Mrs. H because this is one of them crappy cough drops <laughs> that is in my mouth now that Mrs. H gives me these medicinal, crazy, essential oil cough drops. I don't know what kind of whatever I just put in my mouth. I'm kidding. I'm not against essential oils. <laughs> One night I woke up, middle of the night, I was having a cough and I feel something and my wife was putting oil on the bottom of my foot in the middle of the night. <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. I'm not dissing essential oil. I just don't like sucking on it. <laughs> Here we go. Let's see if I preach better. Okay, we, hey, we're running out of time. Here we go. Here we go. Shh, 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 shh. Here we go. Shh, shh, shh. The Lord promises that innocence will radiate. A pure heart is going to win the day. That heart that's committed to God does win the race. You're just in the middle of it, and it looks like the wicked are winning, and the innocent are kind of getting uh, uh, routed here. But the promise is, let it play out. Trust in the Lord. Let this thing 
take course. He says, he'll make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Verse seven, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. It's very difficult when you're dominated by worry and envy to be still. Because it, we're agitated, we're restless. We, we, we're, our minds are just on the move and we're fidgety because we feel like we're falling behind. We feel like what we've committed to as Christians is going to leave us out of this great life. Wicked people, people doing wrong, they're acquiring, they're running, they're winning, and we're kind of left to watch. And the Lord is promising us that that innocence will radiate. It will win the day, stay in the race. And he said it's going to shine like the noonday. He said your job when you feel the worry and the envy is to wait and be still and to wait patiently and to solidify what you believe. It says here, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Man, that is hard. In this life, this has to be one of the top 10 toughest things at this stage of my life looking back is not to worry about wicked people. Not to worry about wicked actors and actresses or entertainers, not to worry about wicked politicians, not to worry about wicked people who do stuff in the name of the ministry, not to worry about wicked leaders of countries, wickedness in the streets, wickedness in the mainstream. And remember, here's how this thing actually works. We have three dimensions that we're in. You got the jet stream. You've heard that term. It's where the weather patterns um, operate. It's above our heads. Then you have the mainstream, which is culture. But then you have the bloodstream. It's what runs through you. And oftentimes we're so crazy, crazed about mainstream culture and its impact on the bloodstream of the generation that we fight culture. We try to win culture to culture. But the Christian is called to battle in the jet stream, not the mainstream. We're called to pray in heavenly places, taking authority over principalities and powers, rulers of wickedness, darkness in heavenly places. We have to always remember that we're called into the jet stream to pray and take authority there because the jet stream is what controls the mainstream. Culture is not dictated by culture. Culture is dictated by principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness up here. Now, I know it sounds mystical and elusive. And are we just barking like a dog at the moon when we look to the skies and pray and take authority? Uh, but it's not. That's the weapon of our warfare. It's not carnal. It's not earthly. It's not touchable. But they're spiritual. And it operates in the heavenly places. That's why we spend time in prayer. Fridays, we hang out here until 1230 to pray. Um, even if it's for five, 10 minutes, just stick around when we're done here in a few minutes to be able to pray. And we're taking authority so that, why? So that the bloodstream, what's running through the heart and spirit and mind of students in your generation and your culture, that's taking them off the cliff or, or taking them toward their destiny. We want to see our friends prosper. We want to see our friends succeed. 
Um, but we have to operate in this dimension of prayer. And so when the Bible says, don't worry about the wicked schemes and those who prosper, we have to be still in the Lord. It doesn't mean we just sleep. It means that we're engaged in activity that doesn't look like the behaviors of, of trying to catch up with wicked people. Okay, next line, uh, real quick, or next verse, not line. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper, the Bible says. It only leads to harm, for the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Last slide, if you will. Soon the wicked are going to disappear. Though you look for them, they'll be gone. The lowly possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. And here's the crazy verses right here. Verses, verse 12 and 13. The wicked, they plot against the godly. They snarl at us in defiance. But the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. He's not laughing because they'll be obliterated. He's simply laughing as a use of language to explain to us the Lord's total sovereign power and position that he's not unsettled the way that we get unsettled at the future. So even though people mock God, he laughs in return. Okay, now I want to take you to Numbers chapter 11. So I want to show you what this looks like. How do we turn from our rage and turn from our anger? This one of the top 100 stories. I've got 12 minutes here. I'm going to share this in a quick devotional. We're going to pretend we're on a television show here, and I've got 12 minutes to talk. And then we're going to get into some prayer here. So in Numbers chapter 11 and 12, is a, it's a code, it's a sequence, it's a formula, it's something powerful that I noticed back in my 20s. And something that I practiced in my life. So there's, there's two points of heavenly reaction and human reaction that are happening simultaneously. Moses is leading the people of Israel through what is called the Exodus. And now through their early uh, portions of their wilderness wanderings. Aaron and Miriam are, are with Moses. They're part of the executive triangle. Um, there is uh, about to be 70 elders that are established in a tent of meeting that will prophesy and begin to give spiritual governance uh, and consistency to Israel. But in chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, it said, Soon the people began to complain about their hardship. The Lord heard, heard everything they said. And the Lord hears every complaint from our lips. Let's just understand that now. He, he hears the complaining that we offer. It says here, Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people on the outskirts. Yeah, it's, this isn't on the screen, so here we go. On the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses, for help, and uh, when they prayed to the Lord, uh, he prayed for the fire to stop. So what were they complaining about? They're complaining about their conditions, okay? Their conditions. So the fire came down from heaven. It says, then the foreign rabble. What in the world is the rabble? R-A-B-B-L-E. So it's a, it's a, Interesting, obscure Bible word. It says, then the rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. 
Remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and the leeks and the melons and the onions. Uh, All of it we had it. The garlic that we wanted. Oh, our appetite is now gone. Uh, All we ever see is this basically crappy manna that God has given us. So the fire came down and it burned up the edges of the camp. So the outskirts where the rabble were located. So who were the rabble and why would God send fire to the edge of the camp? Chapter 12. And when they came to Hazroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on the earth. I'm not sure if he wrote that about himself or not. <laughs> so immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aram and Miriam. You know the story. Uh, the Lord comes down and Miriam gets leprosy. Okay, so we're going to condense this super fast. You have two things going down. Something on the edge and something in the heart. Something on the edge and something at the core. So this story has helped shape my life about how I think about how this life really works. Now, it says that the fire then consumed the whole, not just the edges, because the whole nation began to complain. So there's a little line in chapter 11 that said the whole nation. So what's really going on? There's two things in life that really make me casual when it comes to my tongue. I'm casual about the things that don't really matter in life, and I'm casual in my negativity about the things that are closest to my life. Now watch this. So the rabble were Egyptian people that jumped into the Exodus. These were not Israelites. The rabble were Egyptians who hated life under Pharaoh. They weren't followers of God. They weren't followers uh, looking for the deliverance of Israel. What they did was, is they kind of jumped into the club, you know, in the back door when the VIPs got in, they kind of got in with the VIPs and they got inside of the Exodus. They were with them, but they weren't with them. And every church, every organization, every everybody has some of the rabble which are these people that live on the edge of what's really going on with the people of God. And they're just right there. And they were the first ones to jump ship and complain about the conditions and the things that were trivial. I know in my life, man, if I was not a Christian with this tongue, I would be, I'd probably be one of the most uh, vile people on social media if I had used my gift without the Lord yeah my wife just said amen for the first time (laughs) this year I heard her if I was not a Christian with the way I think my sarcasm my way of ripping and shredding people my way of making people feel stupid about who they are, I would be, I might be like really well known because of what my tongue would be saying if I wasn't a Christian. 
He has saved my life. He saved my whole life when he saved me. Now, now watch this. I always complained about trivial things, things on the outskirts of life. I'm complaining about the cucumbers. I'm complaining about the melons or the leeks or these little onions. I'm complaining about the things that have no significance in this life. And one of the early decisions you have to make is are you going to be a person who's kind of with it but not in it. I'm on the outskirts. I'm out here. I'm not really into this thing. I, I, I don't want to, I don't like what the world has to offer, where I came from. I, I want to get out of Pharaoh. I want to get out of Egypt, but I'm not into Christianity. I'm kind of living in this liminal zone of the outskirts. And I find, I find in my life when I'm living on the outskirts of something, that trivial Trivial inconveniences dominate my life. I complain about everything. Complain about stupid stuff, small stuff, stuff that doesn't matter. Little tiny things about people irritate me. Things I used to have that I don't have, I whine and suck my thumb and act like a little child like the rabble did on the outskirts of the camp. But something else was happening in Israel. At the very center of the camp, was negativity. Because there's two things I love to be negative about. Stuff that doesn't matter and my family members that totally matter. I feel a casualness around my family and around the people that matter most to become negative, maybe for a different set of circumstances. I might feel displaced or overlooked in the case of Miriam and Aaron, that they felt jealous. So here's what happens. When I let the most important things in my life, if I become casual, I feel like I have a license to say negative things to you because uh, we're close. And I let the trivial things on the outside of my life dominate my emotions. Guess what? Everything in between rots. It says, then the whole nation began to complain. Because the core, the core had become infected and the trivial things on the outside became infected and now you've got, your whole life is, is deconstructing, your whole life is deteriorating. Karen and I, I've told this before, Karen and I, you know, we were pastors when we were young and we, I've told this illustration here maybe two, three years ago. You know, we would have people come over to the house. We had little kids, but we had our home open the whole time for people from the church would come over on Sunday nights. One Sunday night, we forgot these people were coming over. And I literally, the house, we have four kids. The house was a mess. Everything was all scattered around. And I'm kind of walking like this after my nap on the couch watching football. And I look out the front window and I see these people getting out of their car. And I realize we're hosting somebody at the house. I went, <gasps> and so, you know, alarm bells. Karen and I are flying through the house. We're throwing stuff in the closet, just throwing crazy, cleaning up the house. In 30 seconds, we cleaned our house. I go running through the house with air freshener. And it looks like they open the door. Literally in 45 seconds, we cleaned our whole house in 45 seconds. And it smelled good. And we went, hello, good to see you. Yeah, we live this way. We live perfect all the time. This couple came over. Karen is so interested in this man. 
I'm so interested in the wife. Like, oh, really? That's so wonderful. That's, that's so interesting. You're so, oh. We went in the kitchen, you know, our little kitchen to get some more chips. We throw a little elbow at each other. We're snipping. Go back out there. Oh, you are so amazing. You're just, you're the coolest. Wow, you do, you, oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. I'm being so nice to the lady. She's being so nice to the husband. We go back in the kitchen. Like that. It was stupid. We got in bed that night. We started talking. We got to laughing in the dark. We started laughing out loud, like crying laughing. How stupid she, I go, you were so nice to that guy's husband. He goes, me? You were so nice to her. Like she was the greatest thing that ever walked around. She said, well, you thought this guy's the greatest thing that ever walked around. And we realized we're treating the most familiar thing to us casually, us. We've tur- we're turning on each other, but we're, what are we doing? Here's how life really works. Your family, your coworkers, the people you work with, the people you're closest to, like Miriam and Aaron, jealousy and feelings, feelings of wanting retribution, letting your guard down. And Karen and I said, listen, from now on, we're going to treat people nice in our house, but we're never going to treat each other. The Bible says... Do good to all men, but especially the household of faith. So we determined, and we did, we determined, and we've lived it for the best part. We've lived this. I have. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, sweetheart. You gave me this. Ugh. Um, but we treat people well, but we treat each other very well. Here's my point Aaron and Miriam became negative to Moses. The relationships that matter most, the enemy found a way in there. The enemy found resting place with trivial things on the outskirts. And when your edges are impacted by the devil and your core relationships are being impacted by the devil, I promise you the whole of your life will begin to complain the way Israel did. So how do I keep a life aimed in the right direction? I've always been cognizant of becoming negative about trivial things. And I have guarded the most important relationships in my life and sought to keep them precious and life-giving. And I don't let any, I try not to let any cancer get into my relationship with my colleagues the people I work with on a day-to-day basis. I don't want feelings to get in there. I don't want feelings to get in there toward my my daughters-in-law, my son-in-law. I don't want feeling to get in there toward my adult siblings, um, Terry and Jill and Doug and Tammy. I don't want feelings in there the way that Miriam and Aaron had toward Moses. Close family, close colleagues. If I let the enemy into that space, And if I let the enemy begin to make me a negative person with the outskirts of my life, then the whole of Israel begins to complain. Why is that so critical? People ask me, how'd you get from point A to point B in life? 
I tell you, one of the key things is I'm aware when I'm becoming negative about things that don't matter. And I'm also been highly aware when the enemy is doing something between me and those absolutely closest to me. And if I keep those two spaces clean and committed to God, the whole of my life, everything falls in between that has remained positive and good. Not easy, but I'm consciously thinking about my edges and I'm consciously thinking about my colleagues and family. And if I let Jesus live in those spaces, you'll be shocked at how he begins to flourish everything that's in between. That's why that story's in the top 100 in the Bible for me. Let's all stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many learned at least one thing today? Okay. Do you want to, do you want to know the name of this cough drop? <clears throat> They're called, what are they called? Vocal zone. They taste like black licorice, which is a, no, no, black licorice is a, the same person that invented hazelnut uh, for coffee invented black licorice. They should be tossed off the Golden Gate Bridge. A anyway, <laughs> hazelnut and black licorice don't belong. They don't belong. Okay, I think I just killed the prayer time. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> First of all, we're just going to open this place up. If you're here with your brothers and sisters from your floor, some of your sweet mates, dorm mates, friends from your floor, what has become a, a great tradition through the years on Fridays is that you just form a little circle somewhere and you take a moment to pray together on Fridays. Um, just thanking God, anything that needs to be forgiven, say, man, I'm sorry, we haven't been getting along. Let's just, let's just put this behind us. I don't want the outskirts and I don't want the core of my life. I don't want, I don't want the whole to get lost. I want to keep those right. Sometimes that needs to happen. If you're carrying a burden from home, somewhere between last Friday and this Friday, you got some news, something for yourself personally, your physical body, uh, you're battling, you're sick today, you got a cold, something's going on, and you want prayer. Someone back home has found out some bad news, and you're carrying the burden. I'm going to invite our faculty and staff that are here today just to make your way across the front, if you guys could move now. And they're going to be up here. And they ling linger up here for about 10, 15 minutes. And if you need prayer, you need prayer, I want you to find one of these men and women up here. They'll pray with you just for a few moments. Uh, just about that need. So they're here for personal prayer. We're going to begin to worship the Lord. And I just want to invite you to stick for a few minutes. Some of you got to get to class. You got to get to work. It's all cool. No, no, none of that. No shade on anybody having to leave this room. But I do invite you on Fridays. Um, I'm here till 1230. We always end up with a cool prayer circle right here, praying together. You are welcome to stay with us until then. But if you can stay for 10 minutes, 15 minutes just to seek God going into the weekend. Now it's the weekend, so you remember your two words are what? Homework and holiness on the weekends. Homework and holiness. So, Lord, we thank you today, Jesus, for your goodness. Lord, as we just begin to call out to you, God, and seek you, God. 
Lord, I pray that this day, this Friday, God would bring you glory and honor and praise. Lord, I can't wait for next week, God. Uh, I can't wait for Pastor Al Toledo from the Chicago Tabernacle to be here Tuesday, God. Lord, Ken Johnson's coming back. Wow. Will Jones is coming, God. Then the next week, Glenn Berto for two days, Martha Tennyson. Oh, precious Lord. Pour out your spirit, God, in the month of September, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Father, we commit our heart, our tongue, the meditations of our life, which really dictate the trajectory and fruitfulness of who we are becoming, Lord. I commit the trivial things to you, Jesus, in this life. Give me great power to overlook a wrong. Lord Jesus, not to lodge it in there and create further damage to my soul, Lord. Lord, help me to forgive people, Jesus, without any fanfare, without any drama, just letting it go and forgiving them. Father, I pray that the edges of my life would be marked by Christ. Lord, I pray that the core relationships, my family members, the people I work closely with, God, that, Lord, I would not allow jealousy and harm, Lord, to emerge in those relationships, Lord Jesus. Father, keep the core of my life clean, healthy, and life-giving, God. Help me to let it go, just to let it go, and to bless Jesus, show us the way today. And now, Lord, as we just begin to pray for revival, God, pray for an outpouring of the Spirit, God, upon this campus. Lord, I pray you could visit us, God, without any distraction or roadblocks, God. We just give you praise and honor today in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Uh, Vinny's going to continue to play. These altars are open. Maybe get in a circle, pray with your friends. And if you need personal prayer, just you can come right now, find somebody to pray with you real quick. Say, hey, would you pray over this situation? And we're just going to turn this into a prayer hall for the next next few minutes. God bless everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.